this is Terry Beatley, your host of What If We've Been Wrong? I'm shining light into some dark places so that beauty, goodness, and truth defeat the schemes of the enemy. It's true, people are perishing for lack of knowledge, and we're instructed to have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what I do on What If We've Been Wrong? Rethink, explore, and uncover some hidden truths so that more people can experience an abundant life and the joy of being set free from the shackles that hold us in prison. Welcome to What If We've Been Wrong? All right, today I am shining light in dark places, and it's the darkness of the fetal baby body parts industry. You know, we've had lots of talk all across the United States, you know, about abortion over the past, you know, the past month, particularly with what the governor of New York did with his most egregious, far-reaching uh, abortion law in New York. And then, of course, with the governor of Virginia, my home state, Governor Ralph Northam, basically, not even basically, fully supporting infanticide. And so the question is, Americans, are we just going to sit back and take it? Are we just going to turn into, continue to turn into a nation that just allows the murder, the butcher of babies, and then also passively allow the fetal baby body parts industry? You know, I would venture to say that if I went out and interviewed 200 people, the vast majority of you don't do not even realize that there is an industry that 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 profits off that scared young mother who walks into an abortion mill who's been persuaded to kill her little baby in her womb that baby who's resting peacefully in a, in his or her mother's womb what what most people don't know is that that young woman she's not only exploited right there she's also exploited and so is her baby due to this demonic industry of selling chopped up baby body parts well nobody knows this better than i think my guest vicky evans vicky evans is the former respect life coordinator of the archdiocese of san francisco she's a certified public accountant by profession and vicky received a licentia in bioethics from the pontifical university regina apostolorum in rome 2010 her thesis is this and i just finished reading it it's 72 pages long i cried my way through the document it's called commercial markets created by abortion colon profiting from the fetal distribution chain and vicky combines her two specialties accounting and bioethics and she follows the money trail that underlies and drives the abortion industry Vicki, welcome onto What If We've Been Wrong, and I invite you to share your light into the dark industry of selling baby body parts. I'm so pleased to be here, Terry. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to um, to be able to talk about my thesis and and to show how abortion is more than an ideological dilemma. It's also a financial dilemma for the country. Absolutely. I mean, the, and most people are not thinking about the trickle-down economics 
of killing babies. I mean, it's one thing, the moral issue. And then, Vicki, we, like I said, you know, I cried my eyes out reading your thesis because, and it's not that I was not aware of this. I, of course, I was aware of it. And I interviewed Dr. Bernard Nathanson, who was once known as America's abortion king, who admits to unleashing the abortion monster onto America. And actually, I just found this in his book called uh, The Hand of God. He has a chapter called Nothing Wasted. And he talks about this trickle down, the, the business of selling baby body parts. And uh, I remember highlighting in this chapter uh, and, and I think this would be a perfect time to kind of toss this out here, and then we're going to dig into your thesis, and you're going to you're you know uncover um, this demonic industry. You know what Dr. Nathanson, what he drove home was that that if the that this burgeoning industry of selling baby body parts, you know the kidneys, the lungs, the legs, the hearts, the eyes, the brain, all this stuff is priced out. They're literally uh, price lists on the internet that you can go see what these parts are worth. Uh, what, what the point he was driving home is that if that's what America and the world's going to devolve into is where we're literally killing people to supposedly save the life of other people, um, that th there will never be enough um, quantity of fetal baby body parts to keep up with the demand. And the example he gives in the book is at this time when he was writing the book, it was 1996, and there were 1.4 million diabetics. Well, back then at least, it, that would require um, the tissue from eight babies, and I think these were the ages of, uh, let's see, from, I think it's from tw uh, 12 to 14 weeks old, I believe. And so if you multiply that out, that would be a demand of 11.2 million fetuses. And mind you, fetuses means living child or young child. So 11.2 million young children, okay, would be needed in order to meet the demand of Parkinson's patients. And, you know, and that's just, park, that's just, I'm sorry, that was diabetes, not Parkinson's, diabetes. So my point is, and we're going to dig into your thesis, uh, if Americans awaken, we must come together to end this demonic industry of killing babies because what's what's trailing right behind it is this industry, uh, the, you know, the big pharmaceutical industry, this industry of selling and profiteering, profiteering off these little babies. So Vicki, let's get into your thesis. Uh, and I, I, I'd like to know, how or why, what prompted you to want to write your bioethics thesis on this topic? Very good question, Terry. Um, by profession, uh, as you said, I'm a certified public accountant, and my second career has been in bioethics and the life sciences. So when I was called upon to write my thesis, I thought, how can I take both of these parts of my background and kind of put them together and, and maybe contribute something to the body of knowledge surrounding abortion that, that hasn't been talked about before. So um, I, I started looking into the financial aspects of abortion, and usually for an industry as immoral as abortion 
to continue, there's got to be something behind it besides just the ideological push. Uh, look at slavery. I mean, there was so much money associated with the slave industry that it took hundreds and hundreds of years for the, for our country to, to break free from that. So I was thinking, well, does the abortion industry have this um, commercial or financial aspect that people don't look at? Usually, people say, oh, you know, the pro-life people, you know, they, they're for the baby, they're against the woman. Um, the pro-choice uh, people say, well, it's a woman's right to choose, and the baby doesn't have any rights until it's born. Actually, now they're saying the baby doesn't have rights even after it's born. Yeah. Um, but but I, was, I, I just kept thinking, there has to be more to this, because otherwise, why didn't hasn't such in the moral industry fallen apart over the last, what, 45 years, and before that in some states like, uh, like New York. So I started looking into who profits, what industries might profit from the abortion industry. We always think about the, the abortion centers. You know, well, of course, they're profiting, the Planned Parenthoods of the world. They're making a lot of money from you know, first abortion, first quarter abortions, uh, first trimester, I should say, and more from second trimester. And then, you know, for third trimester, you pay thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, but there had to be more than just the abortion industry, because Planned Parenthood is, you know, they do have a lot of clinic revenue from the abortions, but they're also subsidized to the tune of, these days, about a, over a half a billion dollars. And also they have their contributions, gifts, and grants from all these um, foundations and mm -hmm. individuals. But there, I kept thinking there had to be more, and that's how I thought of the topic, and this is, my thesis shows what I uncovered and and looking at other industries besides the abortion industry. Well, it's brilliant the way you wrote it. And I really want to encourage people to read this 72-page document. It's going to be posted at America Out Loud on my my page. You know, what if we've been wrong? Read it. I'm also going to post it over at Hosea Initiative, the uh, nationwide ministry that I run, educating America about all these different things affiliated with abortion. And so, so let, let's get into this, into your thesis and it, gosh, it's, it's so, it's so, I mean, you have a ton of information in here, but I really want to compliment you because the average person can read through this. It's not written at such a high academic level that the average person can't read this. So I, so, so I commend you on that. And, and not only that. Not only that, it's double-spaced. <laughs> it's double, that's right. <laughs> and 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 I, I enjoyed looking at all the different references, um, you know, your biography. I think Dr. Nathanson's, yeah, I think Dr. Yeah. Dr. Nathanson's uh, reference is in there, too. I think I have a footnote about him. <laughs> well, I would hope so, because consider he was America's abortion king. Now, I'm looking, actually, before I get into that thesis, um, I'm looking in, in his book, called, um, in the chapter called Nothing Wasted. And I remember highlighting this, this is years ago, the first time I read the book, because he's laying out this trickle-down effect. So, you, you, you know, my friends who are listening, you might not know what I'm talking about when I say the trickle-down effect. Well, somebody, um, like he said, first patient suitable for the technique must be screened, screened by nurses and doctors and laboratory technicians. And then, of course, the abortion is performed. So the abortionist in the clinic there is making money. Then somebody has to ice down those body parts. 
and then somebody has to transport them you know so we're so we're going to be getting into who are all these people and the and then the tissue has to be processed and prepared and so some people are making money there the the patient has to be prepared for you know the abortion uh, sometimes cat scans um, operating personnel and the anesthesiologist uh, observation you know so when the woman is done with the abortion somebody so there's some clinic employee there who's watching uh, that woman so making sure she's not fainting or what have you so my point is is that there's a there's that and that's just part of the industry so Vicky's going to get into um, the the big players and of course you know just, I just highlighted this is the big players are big pharma biotechnology and then this whole relatively new area, Vicki, that you describe as, if I pronounce it right, biologics? Bi- biologics? Am I saying that right? Yeah, uh, biologics. Biologics. Yeah. Biologics. Medicine. Well, let, let me tell you why I'm and- personally interested in this, because I thought I would have a heart attack when I made this discovery. When I found out a number of years ago I had rheumatoid arthritis, the doctor prescribed Enbrel. Embrel, and he called it that biologic, right? So I don't know if you're familiar with Embrel, but I believe that started from one of these fetal, uh, fetal, uh, the diploid, the cell strain. So let's get into this. Who are the industry, you know, the industry dynamics? Who are the big players and how are they making money on all of this? Okay, well, let's let's first start with the abortion industry because that's the one that gets most of the publicity and um, mm-hmm. and that's the one that the federal government is funding. So so normally, when you think about an abortion, you you think that there's two people there, the mother who's aborting the baby and the abortionist. That's not counting the baby uh, herself. But often, there's a third person in the room. And that would be a retrieval agent who is standing there waiting for the abortion to be complete and taking the baby body parts, putting them on ice, and shipping them away. Now, let let me back up. First of all, you have a woman going into uh, an abortion mill, wanting an abortion. She's usually pretty distraught. It's not like she really wants an abortion. Uh, often women feel that very trapped into making the decision. So the first thing that they do is they hand her a stack of papers. One is informed consent. Informed consent may not be very informed because usually there's not a lot of information given to the mother about what she's signing. Informed consent on the use of the body parts is worded so that the mother believes that this is just, quote, blood and tissue from the pregnancy that she's giving to research. And it makes the mother feel better because, oh, at least some good is coming of this. But she doesn't really understand that this is her baby, this is the baby body parts. Um, so so the mother goes in, and the, um, the three uh, parties in, in this uh, financial scheme are the seller, and the seller would be the abortion mill. There's the wholesaler or the middleman or the retrieval agent, and this is the person who is harvesting the baby parts and sending them to the third player, which is the buyer. The buyer can be a university, a government facility, a pharmaceutical company, and and more and more money is made at each step. So 
so say you have this retrieval agent and he or she is working at a Planned Parenthood facility, not as an employee, but as an independent contractor. Okay, so, so he comes in and he is paying Planned Parenthood what they call a site fee. It's kind of like rent um, to enable him to be there to retrieve the body parts after each of the abortions because the aborted tissue has to be fresh. It's, the cells will start deteriorating in under an hour if they don't get them on ice and get them shipped to the end user, um, which is, you know, one of these, again, like I was saying, the, um, the government agency or the university. So you have a site fee paying, being paid to Planned Parenthood. This is maybe five, $600. Then the retrieval agent takes the body parts that are needed, ships them by common carrier to the end user, and that's where a lot of money is made. The body parts go from anywhere from, oh, could be, you know, a couple hundred dollars to several thousand dollars, um, even 24000 for an intact fetus. Mm. So, um, as Terry was saying, you can find these price lists on the Internet, and you can see how much um, a brain is worth, a heart, a thymus, you know, legs, arms, and that that really is um, quite quite a realization to know that there's actually money being placed on each one of these body parts. Um, the other important thing is that this is illegal. Um, you are not allowed to buy and sell human body parts, and the only money that should be changing hands is um, for reasonable costs for obtaining the tissue. However, when you look at these price lists, you know that this isn't um, a, uh, this isn't a reasonable amount for handling the body part. This is this is what's needed. It's supply and demand. You know, um, an intact fetus is going to be worth more than um, uh, the baby's eye just because it's more rare. You know, it's harder to get an intact fetus. So, um, but the real money is made by the end user. And again, this would be the university or the pharmaceutical company because they can then turn these body parts and tissues and, and blood into real money. Into real money. There we we go. We have it right there, and I want everybody to hold on because we're going to get into the the, the business, the finance behind, behind this industry. It's everything you need to know so that you can effect change back into your own communities. Help turn Americans' hearts back into respecting the dignity of human life. Or, or, you know, we kiss this country goodbye, you know, because I really believe God will lift his protective hand away from the United States of America. You know, we were such a beacon of light. Well, this is not a beacon of light. This is a demonic industry. And I want you to hold on. We're coming right back with Vicki Evans, and we're going to dig deeper into this industry. We'll be right back. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. News blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com, where the conversation never ends. With 24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. 
Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. So, Vicki, uh, we're, we're going to be digging into your, your thesis here, your, your paper. Um, the industry players, so we have big pharmaceutical, the biotechnology arena. Um, give us a little bit of the background on on how what are they doing so this this fetus you know this whole fetus arrives at big pharmaceutical what are they doing and how are they um exploiting you know this little baby and and the 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 money behind this yeah well yeah what what you're talking about is the end users like really who are the end users of Mm -hmm. these body parts and cells and uh coming coming from the abortion mills. Uh, one of the biggest players is the pharmaceutical industry. Um, also, you get into the cosmetics industry, which surprises a lot of people. But um, the pharmaceutical industry started using um, human, um, human fetal tissue in order, to, um, in order to make vaccines and in order to, um, to also be able to do research. Um, probably most people have heard about vaccines being made from fetal tissue. They're actually, the vaccines are, um, are kind of fed on a bed of fetal tissue, and the tissue is from elective abortions. Um, so there were about, oh, there, there's many strains. It started out with probably about a half a dozen strains. And for a while, people thought that these um, human diploid cell strains were immortal and that they would last forever. We now know that the strains won't last forever. Um, however, the earlier you get the strain, the, the fetal cells, the longer they'll last. So, for example, fetal cells will last way longer than adult stem cells. You know, when you think about the pharmaceutical industry, you think about um, drugs and things. But but now, with the new developments in the biotechnology industry, and especially the biologics sectors, you um, you see a more value in the human cells because medicine is specializing and, and personalizing medicine through genetic testing and treating diseases at a molecular level. So so before. Um, before meaning, oh, probably as early as 1968, vaccines were were um, developed using whatever baby body parts they had. Um, when they saw, when the pharmaceutical industry saw the value in this, they started actually looking at the. Um, at, at the mother, at the different aspects, the, you know, the different things that they wanted, like um, for a diabetes cure or something like that, they would actually, they'd actually go in and, and hand pick the mothers whose babies they wanted oh. to develop a particular drug. And that's more frightening than just taking, you know, just any fetal parts that you can get and developing these these human diploid cell lines. My goodness. So, so if if they knew the mother was whatever, say twelve to fourteen weeks in pregnancy, or versus whatever eighteen to twenty, I mean, they could pinpoint. Oh, if she's eighteen to twenty and she wants to abort that baby, well, then they know there are certain tissues eighteen to twenty weeks old 
that they can use for certain different types of diseases. Is that what you're saying? And then they would target that pregnant woman for, you know, maybe for that distribution. Is that what you mean? Yeah, um, not, not only that, but say it's a woman who has diabetes in her family, mm-hmm. and say they want to do research on diabetes. What they do, uh, what they do is they wait for a mother to come along who has has these characteristics that they need. You know, somebody with a history of diabetes. Mm-hmm. So it's not only the age of the fetus, but once they started using these um, these cells for for cures rather than just research, then they started targeting actually aspects, physical aspects, uh, genetic aspects of the mother. I see. Which is, mm. I mean, to me, that's even more evil. It's evil enough to, to just take any tissue from any aborted baby. But when you're actually pinpointing right. a specific genetic condition, that's scary. And, and the, one of the more frightening things about it is that it's going to appeal more to the medical community. So that could even expand the the um the need mm-hmm. for abortions you Not know that we have much need to expand it no 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 we don't dr bernard nathanson you know, who founded NARAL pro-choice america who became pro-life you know just like six to seven months he began mm-hmm. his pro-life journey a short time after roe v wade he in in his book called the hand of god which was published 1996 i believe you know he warned of fetal i mean it, i and it, fetal tissue farms okay so these would be places where Mm -hmm. the fetal tissue is being grown i mean walk us through this walk us through his warning vicky because you you know it better than anybody what's at risk well if you if you remember um not not that many years ago uh during i think uh, george bush's presidency there was a big argument um on the national level about whether or not embryonic stem cells should be used uh, for science. Okay, then the scientists realized that instead of building, say, um, a kidney from embryonic stem cells, that it would take too long and be way too complex because organs are very complex structures, they decided that it would be more practical to just... um, take a fetus of maybe eight months gestation, for example, mm. and, and, and clone that organ because you can actually have um, fetal organs implanted in adults and they grow pretty quickly. So uh, everybody started worried that fetus farming was, was going to become something that we'd have to fight against. And, um, and I think they passed a, a federal law against doing it. Um, because uh, yeah, it's called the Fetus Farming Prohibition Act of 2006, and it was passed because um, and and you know every, the press said, well, we don't really need this because fetus farming isn't a big thing. But the fear was that once people saw that that organs were being grown and there's always a shortage of organs, once they saw the organs were being grown, then there would be even a bigger demand for fetal organs. So um, we'll see what happens in that arena. The it's jury's still out. Chilling, chilling. Now I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but because I, I want to swing back to cosmetics. But in your thesis, you cited some. Was it Barbados? Some place where babies are oh, being yeah. stolen out of the nursery? Because walk us through that. 
Yeah, well, well, you know, that goes into the cosmetics industry. And, and this is the industry that most surprises people. And I would say it's, it's most shocking to most people. Because when, when you have, you know, drugs being produced, you can say, okay, you know, it's for mankind, you know, there's a higher cause. But when you have fetal parts and fetal, you know, tissues being used in cosmetics, I mean, that's not in service of humanity, it's in service of vanity. And, and that starts to scare people, um, talking about a slippery slope like that. So, in the cosmetics industry, you have both low-end and high-end um, types of procedures here. And so on the low end, the, um, the tissues are made into cosmetics. And the cosmetics, um, you know, people often say, oh, my goodness, is this something that I could have bought, you know, like at the drugstore? And the answer is no, because these cosmetics um, are hugely expensive. You know, all these miracle creams and anti-aging formulas. Um, For example, probably um, one of them for like four one milliliter ampules of one of these Mm -hmm. um, skincare products containing human fetal cells goes for $1,500. So you're not going to find them in in a drugstore or department store. The other thing is the shelf life is very, very short because as I said, you know, earlier, the fetal tissues start decomposing, you know, very quickly Mm -hmm. if they're not kept on ice. Um, Mostly these products are um, not mass-produced, and they're usually sold through a doctor or a dermatologist. Um, so that's bad enough. But um, at the high end, there are clinics that are they are not in the United States, but they are all over the world. There's one in Barbados that's talked about um, by, um, by Life Dynamics. And um, what happens is women check in, and they spend about $25,000 per session on a treatment that consists of liquid fetal cells, liquefied fetal cells being injected into their bodies. Mm. It's supposed to help health, libido, appearance. You know, it's just, it's just beyond horrible. Um, so they needed babies in order to be able to, to liquefy the fetal cells for these injections that are getting so much money. So this lab in Barbados, um, and I think this is what you were referring to in your, in your mm-hmm. comments there, mm-hmm. there's actually a hospital in Barbados known as Queen Elizabeth Hospital, and all of a sudden babies started disappearing from that hospital, and the mothers were told that the babies had died or were just gone, and these were the babies whose tissues and flesh was being liquefied for these injections. And it just so happened that the director of this Barbados Family Planning Association, um, he was a director of Queen Elizabeth Hospital, and he was also an associate of the island's largest abortion provider. Oh, my god! Which gosh. was an affiliate of International Planned Parenthood Foundation. So Planned Parenthood has known for years this is going on, and they've been making a lot of money off this. Absolutely. You know, Dr. Bernard Nathanson, uh, you, you Planned Parenthood back in 1970, they called him to, you know, he had you know lots of experience running uh, the Center for Reproductive and Sexual Health. And so this is all up in New York. So they called him to get him to train Planned Parenthood in how to do abortions, how to do them more efficiently, more profitably, and then how to run these abortion mills. So Dr. Nathanson deeply grieved, you know, watching Planned Parenthood grow into this abortion monster that it is today. 
I mean, it, it just can't get enough blood. Now, I, I thought this was interesting in that section in your thesis about Barbados. It's like, well, where's all this money coming from? So if it's not in the, the drugstore brands, you know, all that cheap stuff. Um, so I, I thought it was interesting, the market demographics. So you said it's the baby boomers. Um, there are 75 million of them born between 1946 and 1964. I'm on the tail end of those. Um, they have a total earnings of over $2 trillion. They control $7 trillion of wealth. And um, what was the other factor? They own 77. And they want to stay young. And they want to stay young. That's just it. They want to stay young. And, and so they're willing to go and put their money into stuff like that. It's just demonic. Where, where is this going? Where, where, you know, what's the end game? What do you think? I don't think you cover that in your paper. Maybe you do. <laughs> in the conclusion, where's all this leading uh, I think, to? I think, yeah. well, I think the conclusion is it's leading to some very profitable industries. I mean, look at Planned Parenthood, as, as you just alluded to. Mm -hmm. um, Planned Parenthood is so rich now. I was just updating some of the numbers in my thesis as far as um, how much money they have made and how much. I mean, there's so much money. There's so much political power there mm. that they're, they seem untouchable seem. Right. I'm not saying they are untouchable because there's, mm -hmm. you know, the latest developments um, are showing that maybe they're not above the law. But so so people get richer and richer. The pharmaceutical companies, uh, yes, you know, maybe they care about cures, but they mm -hmm. also care about money. Mm -hmm. The cosmetics, you know, things, I mean, this stuff is so awful that, you know, people can't even think about it. But I think it's just keep making money. I mean, you know, people never have enough money or power. And, and right. I think that's the only end game. Eventually, they don't care, you know, what how immoral these practices are. They don't care where the money's coming from because people have become so callous right. to human life. Absolutely, that they just, you know, it's it's just like um, an insatiable monster. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I like what you put. Well, you quoted, you know, the Catholic Church Catechism, and I thought I, I'm gonna. I wrote this down, and it's worthy of hearing because this has been, uh, you know, for the most part, unchanged. You know, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So it says the un, the unalienable right to life of every innocent human individual individual is a constitutive element of a civil society and its legislation. Since the first century, the church has affirmed the moral evil of every procured abortion. Direct abortion, that is, abortion willed, either as an end or a means, is gravely contrary to the moral law. You know, and it's enough suffering that the baby goes through, but I don't, give me your thoughts on this as well. Don't you agree that the, that it's the, everybody else who suffers too? Everybody's contaminated by this. Yeah. In one oh, form or fashion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the abortion industry can can say all at once that, you know, women are proud of their abortions and they shout their abortions, but basically, you never forget an abortion, and I think women don't forget it. Certainly, um men you know, those who mourn their lost fatherhood, they don't forget it. You've got the grandparents who often were the ones that wanted their child to get the abortion and, you know, just to, to avoid um, public opinion of, of, you know, 
well, it's not so bad, I guess, to be pregnant now when you're not married, but it used to be. So, mm-hmm. but it contaminates all of society, and it's what um, it's what Pope John Paul, Saint John Paul II, said about structures of sin. These these procedures are now so ingrained in hospitals and research centers, just just everywhere, and you've got these structures of sin and and it, individual sin is bad enough, but when you have structures of sin, you you can't. How do you dismantle those? How do you take those apart? And you can see how how callous society has become to human life, not only through abortion, but now the new push toward infanticide. You know when um, when David Daleiden did his his investigation, mm-hmm. and, and you know the, the videos came out in 2015. I said, surely this is a turning point. You know, surely people now that they really know what's going on are going to to realize how much evil Planned Parenthood does. And then nothing happened. Well, everything's tied up in court. Something may happen, and, but it happened slowly, and people just decided not to believe it That's instead right. of coming to grips with it. Well, I think a lot of people just decided not to believe it, but also the vast majority of people have still not seen those videos. And so my people mm. perish uh, you know, for lack of knowledge. Look, we're coming right back. We're going to dig deeper into this thesis and the industry and also solutions. We'll be right back. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep, but it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa. Award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. All right, we're shining light in dark places into this demonic industry of harvesting baby body parts. And look, back in like 1998, 1999, Mark Crutcher with Life Dynamics, he did an undercover investigation for, I think it was 31 months. Um, He had um, somebody inside Planned Parenthood uh, picking up all the information about what they were doing in this... um, wholesaling and then ultimate retailing of baby body parts and and it actually made it onto 2020 uh, they did a special report sadly it was sympathetic to the abortion industry but at least he began to get this out but the question is well what happened with the information where are the democrats where are the republicans vicky what happened with mark crutcher's information because this is not new i mean he did this discovery before you wrote your thesis right Oh yes, this was 
This was uh, the original sting operation in this area of the law, and this was the only thing that I could research on this particular area about what was going on with the retrieval agents in the abortion industry. But uh, Mark Crutcher sent in a retrieval agent, and um, when when all this came out, the results of his interview, you know, the the price lists and all that. What they ended up doing was ad hominem um, attacks on the retrieval agent and on Mark Crutcher. Um, His investigation got all the way up to Congress, and there was actually a congressional resolution in, um, in the year 2000, I believe. And they thought something would happen. And Mark's line that I just love is he said, nothing happened at the end of his investigation because the Democrats were in bed with the abortion industry and the Republicans were in bed with the pharmaceutical industry. So once you have, um, once you have uh, political personalities, either on the buyer or the seller end, you can be assured that nothing will happen to stop what's going on. Oh my goodness! And 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 to the defense, because there are some good pro-life uh, people in D.C. You know, there are some of these legislators, mm-hmm. and they are truly pro-life. But we're talking about the matrix, the deep state that's that that's part of um, the, this demonic industry of abortion. Uh, make no bones about it. So, and just to repeat that, the Democrats were in bed with the sellers. And the Republicans were in bed, are, are in bed with the, uh, the with the buyers, the, okay? buyers. the, the, yeah, the pharmaceuticals. Ah, oh, that's so sick. You know, and that's that's. I mean, that is such yeah. a matrix. I mean, how do you cut through that matrix? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I still say it's we the people because Vicky, you know, we, you and I know that if you went out there and we interviewed two hundred people, the majority of them are not for this. They just don't know what's happening. So what my question is, when we the people, we the people get the information, will we the people stand up and, and do whatever all those do things are? Will they do the right thing? You know, can, can hearts and minds change? I mean, what, what do you think? Do you think it's possible? I think it's going to take a lot of work. And I think it's going to take some media support, which we don't have right now. I mean, just just look at what happened 18 years later. Um, well, 15 years later, because Mark Crutcher did his study, mm-hmm. say, in 2000. David Daleiden and Center for Medical Progress did their sting operation um, in 2015. That's when their videos came mm-hmm. out. And And I thought at that time that something would change because... The videos were just, they were so explicit and they were so well documented. I mean, it actually gave what section of the law was being broken, you know, um, when he went into the abortion industry to see what was happening. I mean, for example, under the law, you're not allowed to change the method of abortion in order to have a particular um organ, undamaged organ or an intact fetus. And it was obvious that Planned Parenthood was changing the method of abortion in order to accommodate the end users who wanted the specific fetal parts. So when I saw David Daleiden's interviews come out, you know, 15 years later, I said, well, surely this is going to change things. This will definitely 
you know, get the attention of the American public. And it did to an extent. I mean, we still have congressional hearings going on. There's a lot of lawsuits against um, David and Center for Medical Progress. But has it changed American um, minds and hearts? I don't think so. Not as much as I thought it would. No, I, I, I st- I'm a believer of you have to get the information down to the end user. And you would think, well, if it's out there on YouTube, you know, it's like, how much easier can it get? But a lot of this stuff gets censored and all that. So I do want to say this again. It's the Center for Medical Progress. Those are the David Daleiden undercover videos. I mean, there's one video where he's taken one of the top dogs of Planned Parenthood out you know, they're out at dinner that, you know, she, that woman has her glass of wine and she's literally talking about trying to, you know, get the highest prices that she can get for, for baby body organs, uh, so that she can buy her, what's that car called? Uh, uh yeah, Maserati or uh, Lam- Lamborghini. 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 That's right. Lamborghini. Cause she yeah. wants her Lamborghini. Um, she, she even you know, looks Carrie, evil. I just want to put that out there, Vicki. She looked evil evil she looked hollow she looked like what uh, i envisioned like a hitler's you know one of his nazi sold she looked hollowed out so you know and and interesting that you that you mentioned her because just this morning i was reading a an in-depth report from operation rescue Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. the particular person you're talking about plus about 22 others are no longer at Planned Parenthood. Really? Not only the, wow. the former president, Cecile uh, Richards, but also all of the individuals featured in the vid- videos, everyone from that Mary Gotti is, I think, who you were talking about, um, Deborah Nicotola, almost all of them are gone from Planned Parenthood. They either were fired, released, retired, mostly they just left. And I think it's because the court cases that are coming up now are going to require their de- depositions. But I thought it was amazing that wow. all the people in the videos are okay. now gone. Yeah. And they're trying to, you know, the new president is trying to um, turn the page. Oh, she's say. a good little but communist from can. China. Oh, my gosh. I mean, look who they have in place now. <laughs> she's from China. You know, the abortion country of the world. And, uh, yeah. uh, you know, with forced abortions and all that, but that's a whole nother day's topic. But I mean, when they put this little Chinese American woman up there, it's like, put your communist up there. They have absolutely zero respect for human life and put, you know, she needs to be female and she needs to have a pretty little smile on her face. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, the abortion industry workers that particularly like the political lobbyists, you will never see people in the legislative world smiling as much as abortion industry lobbyists for Planned Parenthood and NARAL and the Abortion Federation. They smile while they talk about legislation that's all about destroying human life. It's beyond my comprehension. So, well, and, uh, and of course, they're using euphemisms the whole time. Oh, they're yeah. talking about products of conception and clumps of cell mm-hmm. and w- cells and women's right to choose mm-hmm. and, and, you know, um, on and on. I mean, you know. Well, what, what, it's interesting what well. we're doing. Uh, reproductive we're, health. Oh, yeah. Oh, reproductive women's health. Absolutely. Well, it's not health. And, and killing half a million baby girls every year in America is not women's health care. And so we need to be able to take back the language. One of the things we're doing at Jose Initiative is we're launching in 2019 a whole campaign for take back the language. And so it's this beautiful campaign about with child.
child. She is with child. You know, I, I had completely forgotten that to use the words, you know, she's pregnant. You know, years ago, that would that was as crass as saying, you know, she got knocked up. You know, not to be ugly about this, but I mean, that it was like one and the same. You know, because years ago, it was, oh, she's with child. You know, those are God's words. So we're we're taking back language. We're gonna, so everywhere I go, we have a beautiful poster of this pregnant mother, and 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 um, she's with child, and that's what it says on the poster. She is with child, and I'll get the audience to say it because at first it sounds a little awkward. She is with child, but everybody when they say it, they're smiling, they're clapping. So we're gonna take this, take the language back. You know, they commandeered it. And that's one of the ways. But when you when you get this down to the local level, and when you prove that Planned Parenthood is hooking children on sex, they are they are indoctrinating our children into sexual deviancy, promiscuity, and then they have all their backup plan. They've got their abortions. They've got their uh, inexpensive, un, you know, ineffective birth control pills. You know, it's it's people do respond. I go into the inner cities. We teach about black genocide, the racist history of Planned Parenthood. And so, and I just know that the people we get in front of, and a lot of these people, maybe they're not hard, hardcore pro-aborts, but a lot of the people got caught up in the lies of the industry, Vicki, where, you know, they don't feel good about abortion, but they bought the lie that every woman deserves the right to choose or, or it's women's health care yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Those are all, that's all the propaganda, you know, because prior to 1973, only one half of 1% of Americans thought abortion should be legalized. One half of 1%. Look what propaganda can do. So um, let's see. So we've got Mark Crutcher who did the undercover sting back in late 90s. And then back in 2015, we have David Daleiden. And you said he's still caught up in the lawsuits and all this. But I think I read the other day that California has to pay all of his legal fees. Did you see that? Uh, I, that wasn't for the 15 criminal charges against David Daleiden and, oh. um, and Sandra Merritt. That was something else. They had to pay 399000 um, gee, I forget what okay, case but it was. It was. I else. don't think it was connected with David, um, but it, it's certainly noteworthy mm-hmm. that any that anyone had to pay um, the for the defense of you know anybody in the abortion industry had to pay for the defense of the pro life community. That right. doesn't really happen. But we're still embroiled in, in all these criminal cases here right. in San Francisco Superior Court, actually. Mm-hmm. All right, now you used to uh, volunteer at the um, Diocese of, what, San Francisco? San right? Francisco. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and you yeah, were I was, awesome. I was the Respect Life Coordinator. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, it, my, my apostolate, we've actually called all 180-some Respect Life directors. We've introduced them to who we are, what we do, and, and the response has been awesome. And I actually had the uh, wonderful opportunity to meet with Archbishop Cordelioni when I was the guest mm-hmm. speaker at the Walk for Life in San Francisco in 2018. Yep. Last year. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, wow, what a powerhouse archbishop, totally solid on the life issue. And um, so my question to you is... And what a good speech you gave, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> You're very powerful about Dr. Nathanson. Well, he wanted everybody. <laughs> he wanted everybody to know how he deceived our country. But I don't want to get too much into that because I want to, because your information 
content is equally as important. So, okay, let's just think about this. What else in your thesis uh, is is should people know? I mean, we've talked about the the history of the abortion industry, the the legal history. What about some of these court cases that advanced all this um, fetal cell farming? Were there a couple pivotal court cases with the Supreme Court that fast-tracked any of this? I don't know if it was, well, court cases, you know, obviously Roe v. Wade and um, Doe v. Bolton. Um, the only court case I can think of that, that might have fast-tracked um, the stem um, fetal cells in right. the pharmaceutical industry mm-hmm. was, it was called the Diamond Case. And what it did is it made it possible for living organisms to be patented. And once a living organism could be patented, then money could be made off of it. And um, and the case really had to do with, I think it was um, oil-eating bacteria. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, unintended consequences, it, it also went into the area of... Um, of fetal cells, human cells, allowing pharmaceutical companies to patent these things. Um, okay, so let, let, the other thing that happened. Oh, go ahead. What, what was the other thing? Oh, I was just going to say the other thing that happened at this time was um, when the National Institute of Health and Human uh, Resources uh, started financing some studies in universities. It used to be that that the individuals running the studies uh, wouldn't have any rights to them, but there was um, a law that was passed, and it was called the um, the Bay Dole Act, and mm-hmm. it allowed um, medical schools to actually patent things that were found in their research. And so it turned the medical schools into little profit centers, and it turned the researchers into entrepreneurs. So that kind of opened up the gates of um, wow. pharmaceutical industry profits as well. And it's all about follow the money trail. Follow the money trail. Mm-hmm. I, I'm amazed that, that God had you, I think, hand-chosen, you know, with your accounting background and, you know, your love of life and your strong faith um, to have hand-chosen you for to, to get this information out there. So, again, I really want to encourage all my listeners to, to go to America Out Loud and download. Download uh, Vicki Evans' thesis paper, you can read it. You can read it. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at the outline right now. She covers the industry composition, political landscape, the fetal parts industry. She looks at the legal history, the investigative report, fetus farming. And then she looks at the pharmaceutical industry uh, with the industry dynamics and vaccines, the cosmetics industry, and then the ethical question. And we have just enough time. To talk about that, just enough time to talk about the ethical question. And and I wrote it down. You said, does financially profiting from the act of abortion render it more seriously evil? What a profound question, uh, Vicki. Do, do you have the answer that, that for that one? That was an interesting question. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And then you, then you have, or does it simply increase the, the, the number of people morally implicated um, on some level? Now, do you have the answers for that? <laughs> so. I, I wish I, I wish I did, but I, I just say, you know, from the looks of what society is becoming uh, as it relates to the abortion question, um, I think abortion has tainted 
more and more people in more and more ways just because um, people like us haven't had as much of a voice as people on on the other side of the Mm -hmm. divide. And, you know, Dr. Nathan's in the father of America's industry of abortion. When he resigned from NARAL Pro-Choice America, you know, back then it was the most powerful political pro-abortion action organization, he predicted three things, that as long as abortion is legal, we will see increased violence, increased public turmoil, and the disintegration of the American family. And that was submitted to NARAL on January 22nd, 1975. And that's exactly what's happened. And so, folks, yeah. go read Vicki Evans' thesis paper. Vicki, thank you for being on. What if we've been wrong? God bless you. And I definitely want you to come back again. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. Thank you so much. I'll be back. <laughs> okay.